All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's masterclass featuring La Follette. My name is Antoinette Londajan from Cork and Pork in Washington, D.C. We are a premium wine store founded by a multi-generational flying winemaker originally from Champagne, France. I am absolutely delighted to introduce today's producer, La Follette, represented this evening by Brian Scott. There is much to share about this amazing winery um, from this prestigious region, uh, and I'll leave that all to Brian. I'll do a quick intro. La Follette is a boutique Sonoma County winery intensely focused on crafting wines that offer benchmark expression of vineyard site and appellation, producing the most distinctive site-driven Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs. La Follette partners with family-owned vineyards. Vineyards that express their unique terroir are central and indispensable to the success of La Follette wines. This tenant drives their winemaking philosophy and delivers wines with finesse. For those joining us live, we'd love to hear from you. Place your questions in the chat and we'll get to them time allowing. For those watching the recording, we don't blame you. It's a beautiful day outside, so we hope you enjoy the recording anyway. We will move immediately, immediately into the presentation. Brian, please introduce yourself and your company and we will start tasting wine whenever you're ready. Why no? Um, so I'm going to share my little screen here. Boink. There's a pretty picture. So hi, everybody. My name is Brian Scott. I am the national sales manager for La Follette Winery, uh, as well as Kibera Vineyards. Important to the story. We'll get to that. But um, please, please, if anybody is out there and you have questions about anything I'm saying, um, please send me away because I will go on tangents and bore people to death. I am a certified sommelier with the Court of Masters. So uh, I am educated beyond my intelligence as well. So, um, but I, we're going to go over kind of the run of show tonight. We're going to go a little bit about history, Sonoma, how they make wine there, um, the difference between La Follette and Kivira, and then history of, the, of our brand in particular. And then we're going to do a deep dive into these vineyards that uh, I have in front of me. Thank you for uh, getting me to uh, get me drinking at four o'clock in the afternoon because I'm in California. So um, I'm zooming in here live from Sacramento, California, where it's about 85, 90 degrees, but there's no humidity. So I can sit outside. That's why I left New York. Oh, yeah. So anyway, getting around to it. Um, La Follette is a winery uh, started out in 2010, 2010. So it was the brainchild of two guys. One is Greg LaFollette, that's where we get our name from. The other is Pete Kite, and Pete Kite is the owner of the winery. So it starts out with, he owns Kivira Winery in Dry Creek Valley, that's a special uh, specialist of, uh, in Sauvignon Blanc and uh, Zinfandel, and then wanted to get involved in the world of Sonoma Coast Pinot. And we already have a winery and uh, this brand that's known for Zinfandel and Sauvignon Blanc. So we created this other brand called La Follette. Um, Kivir is all estate fruit. La Follette is no estate fruit. And um, that really kind of has to do with the culture of Sonoma Coast when you're talking Chardonnay and Pinot. Um, you know, this kind of magical story of, you know, we're going to buy a piece of land and build a little winery and grow some grapes and make some wine um, just doesn't exist very much in Sonoma. Uh, Napa, you have a lot of that uh, because it's much more established, but doing that as a startup winery right now is really not fiscally possible just because the land values are so high. So you have a, in Sonoma this culture of these amazing growers. You have uh, amazing winemaking families like the Duttons 
the San Giacomo's. Um, you have amazing vineyard managers like uh, uh, Jim Pratt, you have Charlie Heinz, who we're going to get talk about. And so what you basically will have is winemakers come in and try and find these really great little pieces of dirt. And the, the terroir of Sonoma is extremely varied. Um, it is a much larger region than, say, Napa Valley, where basically Napa Valley, you're like valley floor, hillside fruit kind of it. I mean, there's other little things, but in Sonoma, there is Sonoma Coast. There's all these little AVAs like Dry Creek or Russian River Valley or Green Valley or the Petaluma Gap, which we're going to talk about, or Carneros, which sits halfway in, we're going to talk about. Um, and a really varied, varied, varied climate. So you get a lot of different expressions of especially Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Um, Talking about, uh, okay, so Greg and, and Pete meet each other in 2010. They start this little project um, because of, you know, relationships. We bring in uh, a lot of growers into the fold, um, which kind of leads me into the first wines, the two wines, the Los Primeros wines. So if anybody knows about winemaking, you'll be making a single vineyard. Let's say you have 10 barrels and let's say eight are just awesome, but there's two that are just not perfect. Well, those two, we'll, we'll call it kick out. We'll kick them out of the program. We won't put them into that single vineyard. And so where do those go? They'll go into the Los Primeros uh, level. So Los Primeros, um, you know, the, if you read the back label, it says some fanciful thing about like being an ode to the pioneering winemakers who started the valley in the 1800s. But for me, uh, being in California and, you know, having a lot of, you know, speaking Spanish a lot and have a lot of Spanish speaking friends, you know, there's a, um, a term in Spanish when you call somebody primo, right? So it's, it's like, my cousin, my buddy, you're the best, like, hola primo, como estas? You know, it's like, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a slang term. And so that's kind of how I, we all refer to the vineyard guys and the cellar guys is by primo. And so for me, it's an ode to those guys who really make the wine. And it's these, um, a lot of the, you know, Mexican uh, farm workers, a lot of the Spanish vineyard workers, our guys have been with us forever and uh the family that that that's created at the winery between all these guys and uh you know they're they're they bust my chops on my bad spanish all the time but um to me it's an ode to them uh because without those guys we don't have wine and um and they're they're just brilliant at what they do um all along the production side so cheers to the vineyard worker um but los primeros uh you'll notice the chardonnay um hope you have 19, you should, uh, is appellated. The appellation is actually Sonoma Coast or Sonoma County. And the reason for that is that we're pulling from all over Sonoma for that, for that wine. Um, and we're getting kick out from our own program as well as, hey, we might find a vineyard that's really good, but it's not so distinctive that we're going to make a single vineyard out of it. So, but it's still really good. And so we'll use that as a base for the Los Primeros. So the other thing we will find is we'll find kick out from our friends too. So let's say, you know, the other, you know, pick a famous winery because we've known these guys, you know, it's a really tight community. We'll call them up when we know that they're doing their blends and be like, hey, you have any barrels you want to kick out? You have any barrels you want to kick out? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And so we'll kind of get these friend deals. So it's a mix of our kick out some little vineyards and kick out from our friends. Um, so we can make this super high quality Chardonnay at a pretty affordable price. Um, I think 
I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to talk pricing, but you should, should be in that $25 range on the price. I just talked pricing. Sorry. Um, but anywho, so that's the, the, the ethos behind Los Primeros, right? It's these blend of vineyards and all those barrels from all over the place, which is different from the myriad of single vineyards we sell. Um, if you come to the winery, you'll taste a whole bunch um, out there in the world. We only put a few out. Uh, there's only about uh, five single vineyard wines that we sell outside of the winery just because we don't make enough. You might make two barrels. That's 50 cases, right? So um, these are all between like 500 and 700 cases produced. Uh, and that varies year to year based on harvest and based again on that barrel kick out. So Los Primeros, the style of this wine, if you're talking style, um, to me, it's very Sonoma County, very Sonoma Coasty, in that you're dealing, you're getting more fruits of like white peach and apricot. Um, anything tropical is going to be pretty high tone acid. We love acid because we like to eat. Um, and so the wines that we make are generally higher in acid, um, fresher style than say the Napa style Chardonnay, which would be like oaky, buttery, creamy. Um, and they, you know, there's winemaking reasons for that. Like we do not put these wines through a lot of malolactic fermentation, which is that little winery trick that makes things taste like butter. Uh, we do a ton of yeast autolysis, which is a 10 cent word meaning, um, or and batonage, which is a 20 cent word because it's French, but that just means we stir the barrels up a lot. So, right, you make wine, right? And you, and we do this at all levels um, where you make wine, yeast eats sugar, makes alcohol, CO2, and that's fermentation. And the yeast cells die at the end of it. They either create so much alcohol that they die or they run out of sugar and they die. Anyway, you slice it, they're on a suicide mission and they're dead and they, they go into the bottom of the tank. Well, as they start to break apart, those yeast cells, they start getting, you get all these like nice rich bready flavors and you will get kind of rich mouthfeel like you would from an oak barrel, but you're not putting it in an oak barrel. It's coming from the yeast breaking up. Uh, same thing in champagne. We were talking about champagne before the thing. Champagne's the same thing. Yeast autolysis, the longer you let, leave it, those leaves in that bottle, the more rich and full the champagne becomes, right? Same thing here. And we do a ton of it. In fact, uh, Greg developed this thing, which makes me giggle every time I say it. Um, but it, it was a real term, according to Greg, called fluff racking, which um, basically when the wine's fermenting, he's going to finish the fermentation in barrel. So it, or the wine's fermenting, and then no, sorry, finishes firms, and then you're going to rack it in a barrel. And normally with, that just means you pour the, normally racking is pouring the clear wine off the sludgy lees but he'll stir all that up and he'll pour it all cloudy and get all the, all the, all the goody stuff in there. So it makes the wine richer again, rich mouthfeel, great acid, but no oaky sappy kind of flavoring and, and certainly no toastiness. I would ask people if what they think at this point, but it's a show of one. So anyway, so moving on from Los Primeros to a single vineyard, we should look at another pretty picture. How do I do this? Bink. Um, oh, that's us. We're low intervention expressions of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from the Sonoma Coast. Um, and there's another pretty picture of Los Primeros. And then here's where we are. So we're going to talk about three distinct single vineyards today. And this is Sonoma, right? So look at Napa County on the right. See how tiny that is? Now look at Sonoma. Oh my goodness, it's a big spot. Um, 
you can drive for hours and hours and still be in Sonoma. But these little stars I put on are where these particular vineyards are. And so the next wine that should be in your glass is the Sunchase Vineyard, uh, single vineyard from the Petaluma Gap, which is a magical little area. So it's the furthest south. If you look down, I don't know if you can see my pointer down here where it says Sonoma Mountain, and then you see Petaluma Gap. What's super cool about uh, Sonoma, and the only reason you can make Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from this area, because we are really far inland and far south. So you'd think, wow, that should be really hot. And it is, it's like a hundred degrees during the day, but the, the mountain range that runs up the coast um, and protects a lot of the vineyards on the coastline, then right at Petaluma down here, right by this little town of Petaluma, there's a break in the vineyards and that's called the Petaluma gap or break in the vineyards. It's a break in the mountains, the mountain range. There's a natural um, uh, gap in the mountain range that opens up to the ocean. So, all right, we're on the East Coast. Well, you're on the East Coast. You have a warm ocean. That's why it's really humid in the summer, right? Um, the currents on the East Coast come from the tropics north. And they bring all that warm water northward, right? So in the West Coast, it's opposite. Our ocean currents go north-south. So we're bringing ice cold water from the Arctic and Alaska down the coastline. You know, everybody, there's the famous saying, Mark Twain, right? The, the coldest winter I ever spent was the summer in San Francisco. That is absolutely true. And what happens is in the middle of the day, right? You have all this cold air off the coast. In the middle of the day, in the middle of that valley, it gets really hot. Heat air rises, creates a vacuum and sucks all that air in off the ocean cold air comes in like 50 degree air and fog and it comes in at 30 35 miles an hour which is really funny if you're in the vineyards because um like the vineyard guys about three o'clock they'll go to the truck and they'll pull their jackets out and everybody else is like they're like drinking wine in the vineyard and i'm in my shorts they're like what are you guys doing they're crazy and they're like amigo and here comes the fog like a herd of horses and in about 20 minutes all the tourists are freezing their ninnies and wanting one of jackets, right? So it's kind of a funny vineyard joke, but if you ever come out, if you ever come out to the vineyard, you're doing a vineyard tour in the afternoon, bring a sweatshirt, I'm just telling you. So what happens is that air comes rifling in, right? It's like, like crazy, it's like a cannon, and that cannon is aimed right at Sonoma Mountain. And Sonoma Mountain up towards the top is Sunchase Vineyard. It's an extremely, extreme, oh, there it is, extremely dramatic vineyard. So out where that sun is setting in this picture, is the Petaluma Gap. And so at night, here comes all this fog and this air. So it's like you take the entire vineyard, you get this beautiful ripening during the day, and then you shove the whole thing in a refrigerator at night. And it, what does that do? Preser preserves the acidity. It makes the grape skins a little hardier, a little thicker, it, but you get this great fruit and great development, but then you have all this wonderful acid and this lightness. So that's why this one tastes like this. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, and again, we don't own any of these vineyards. Roger, the guy who farms is a sweetheart. Very, very meticulous guy, as you can tell. I mean, you'll look at that thing. It's just like all the rows are perfectly aligned towards the gap for the wind direction and everything. It's just manicured. It's an unbelievable spot. This, to get up here, you have to drive like to Santa Rosa, then you go up the mountain. It takes about 30 minutes to climb that mountain. 
I want to be the guy living in that house right there. That'd be cool. So um, those are the shards. Uh, I hope you're enjoying them. Uh, we'll move into the land of Pinot Noir. Um, and Los Primeros, if you grab your bottle, boop, and you look on the back, there's a cheat sheet back here, and we'll tell you where the grapes are from. And so this wine, I mentioned the AVA and the Shard, is Sonoma County. This is not. This is California. It, in fact, it doesn't even say. We're not going to tell you. But on the back, it says California because we actually source this vintage from not only Sonoma County, but also Monterey, a little bit from San Luis Obispo. So if you guys know that's way down south in Southern California. So when you're tasting this, you're not only getting those like black fruits from Sonoma County, you're also going to pick up more of that like really bright red cherry and strawberry, maybe a little rhubarb. That's all from down south in Monterey and Sonoma County because as you get further south, you get warmer growing regions. So the Pinot Noir tastes totally different in that part of the world than it does up where we make, uh, make our home in Sonoma. So again, same story, Los Primeros, um, I'm gonna crank it. We screw cap, I love me some screw cap. Um, we actually did a multi-vintage trial on screw cap versus cork. And in every year, so we make a little bit of uh, wine in cork, and then we made some in screw cap, and we did it for like 10 years. And then we would taste and taste and taste. Well, we didn't, I mean, the, the winemaker did. And every single year, that screw cap wine jumped out of the glass, was fresher, was lighter, was more vibrant, was much more uh, pleasing and much more fun to drink and much more exciting than the cork finished wine, which they were always a little dead. So I love screw cap. I hope you love screw cap. You don't need a, a wine key or anything. You just screw it. You can screw around, screw around by yourself with friends. Um, but anyway, everything that we do, like that 10 year trial of screw cap versus cork, everything we do is for the wine quality, um, to the point of, you know, we can put organic on our labels, but we don't. And the reason for that is because we make some choices in the winery that are better for the wine, but they don't, they fall outside the, the rails of the organic certification. So he's like, and we have these conversations all the time, especially around organics, because we grow, um, I mean, the fruit of Kibera, the main wineries, we're, we're like biodynamic growers, but we can't put it on the label because we do some things that are better for the wine, better for our particular environment, but they're outside of the rails that they put on, on organics. So, so be it. Mm. That's tasting yummy. And that's 2017 vintage. You know, don't be afraid of jumping into a Pinot Noir, again, at this price point, like 25, 28 bucks, with a couple years of age on it. You know, there's kind of this fallacy out there that like, oh, you have to have it you know, right at release and all this, and it doesn't age well. It ages beautifully. It's made right. Mm. Low intervention, meaning low sulfur. Um, I know it's a big buzzword, sulfur. I'm allergic to sulfites. No, you're not. Um, so uh, anyway, it's a big, I, I, get, I go crazy, but here's a, here's a fun fact about sulfur. And I'll tell you a little bit about some winemaking technique that we do in the winery to avoid it. But every bottle of wine out there, if it has a one, at least one year bottle age on it, is in effect sulfite free. 
And I'm not lying to you. This is crazy town. This is chemistry. So after a year in bottle, the sulfur's still there, but the sulfur molecules will bind and they'll become too big to enter the human cell wall. So you will consume it, but it just goes right through. You will not absorb it into your system. So therefore, even if you are sensitive, you won't have a reaction. Pretty cool. Science. Um, we love science. So one of the things we do to avoid kind of um, avoiding the use of sulfur, we use argon gas a lot in the winery. We try and keep things in a very anaerobic environment, very reductive style winemaking, meaning we reduce the amount of oxygen we let hit the wines because we want them fresh, right? So we use argon gas instead of SO2. That is not allowed in organics. I don't know why. It's on the periodic table, guys. Come on. So the other thing we'll do is we have, we use a lot of different size barrels in the winery and we're really moving towards big barrels. Um, so we'll have the little bariques and then we'll have like hogshead, which are 500 liter barrels. And then we'll have Fudra. We actually have this place when you come out uh, called the Fudra room, which has these giant like 1500 liter um, acacia wood tanks. A what wood? Acacia. Yeah, sometimes we don't use oak. So we'll make these big tanks out of acacia wood so you get like management of your acids but you don't get that sappy wood thing hugh, hugh chappelle our winemakers a big uh, pioneer of acacia wood but the other thing we'll do in the fuja room is we have these wines aging for a long time and they're chard and pinot and zinfandel and sauvignon blanc and we keep that room at 50 degrees it's freezing in there i always want to go to tastings but i'm like everybody needs a jacket because it's freezing and the reason we do that is that at 50 degrees all those little nasties uh, like Brettanomyces, um, all those little bacteria that can make natural wines taste like boot leather and wet horses, they can't live at that temperature. So therefore we don't have to use any sulfur to combat the nasty bugs, right? Science, again, we actually, if one of the fun facts about our winemaking, I'm going off on tangents here, we should be talking about Heinz Vineyard, but one of the fun facts about my wine, our winemaking is that like for organics, the, the threshold for SO2 in a wine is 100 parts per million, okay? That's, you have to be, that's the most you can have. We're at like 55, but we're not organic. Government. All right, so let's talk about Heinz Vineyard. So Heinz Vineyard, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back here. So right there in Green Valley in that star in the middle, that's where we're going, folks, right to that star. This is... Um, arguably one of the finest Pinot Noir vineyards in California. It is definitely a Sonoma Grand Cru uh, level site. It has been owned by the Heinz family since like 1919. It was planted in the seventies um, by Charlie Heinz. Not, there's no relation to the ketchup family, by the way, it's not, there's no ketchup in this wine um, and no ketchup money. These guys were uh, pear farmers, like everybody was apple farmers and in the early seventies, Charlie's way out here by Occidental. Like this is West, like nobody's growing grapes there. And everybody's thought Charlie was nuts. And he planted a truckload of Chardonnay and a little bit of Pinot. And now everybody clamors to get in this vineyard. Um, and Charlie still farms it. Uh, it's really unique in the world of wine. We label ours Russian River Valley. That's what, that's, that's the, the ABA. But by law, because of where it sits geographically, it can be Russian River Valley, it can be Green Valley, or it can be Sonoma Coast. Pick your poison, depending on where your rows are. Because the, the ABA like crosses through the vineyard. 
pretty cool spot. But Heinz to me is always rich. Um, Heinz to me is there. There's acid. There's structure. There's there's that hint of cherry cola, which is hallmark for Russian River Pinot Noir. Like if you want to make your friends at home, you're like if it smells like. Remember when like the first cherry coke came out anybody who's gray like me remembers that in the 80s like cherry coke and you're like wow this reminds me of high school but i don't know why that's russian river um it just has that cherry cola thing right in the middle it's awesome um and it's a hallmark for the region so most like i said he grows a bunch of chardonnay here and a little bit of pinot so most of the wines that you'll see from say literai or dumal or you know pick your famous winemaker or Chardonnay out of Heinz Vineyard. There's not much Pinot made. And one of the, well, main reasons that we get the Pinot is our winemaker, Hugh Chappelle. So Charlie, back in the day, he's just grows grapes now, but he, they had the idea, they're like, we wanna make bottle product wine too. And we wanna go out and they figured, uh, they found out pretty quickly that, that growing grapes is hard and making great wine is hard. Uh, selling great wine is like super hard. So, and they're like, we don't want, this is just like too much. And we just want to grow grapes and be farmers. But during that period where there was Heights family vineyards being produced, the winemaker was Hugh Chappelle, our winemaker. So Hugh gets his pick of the litter as to the Pinot Rose and the grapes every year. So it's really kind of the heart of the heart of this Grand Cru vineyard. Um, it's a mix of clones. We'll talk more about clones of the next year, but there's all kinds of different clones of Pinot Noir. And you've heard like, oh, it's all Trip 7 or Pumard or, or uh, Martini or all these things. And they all have historical references. Um, and one of the, they all have historical references basically back to Burgundy or UC Davis. And they all bring, though they're genetically identical, these different clones will bring different flavor profiles and structures to the wine. And so, um, Heinz is a, a blend of a bunch of Dijon clones, which really kind of creates a kind of seamless balanced wine. Whereas the, the next one, Hox Roost is mainly one clone. So you have a chance here, taste these side by side. You can taste multiple, multiple clones versus single clone wine. And you can pull the differences out for yourself. Um, cause clone 23 Hox Roost is uh, a UC Davis clone that's known for structure and usually brings tannin and black fruit to the blend. And then you taste, you taste it and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's going to blow your head off. That's why we're tasting Heinz first. So fun thing about Pinot, um, Pinot Noir is uh, magical for many reasons. It's magical because it is the one grape variety that will express its terroir more than any other grape variety. Um, and I heard, I was reading about, I read it, fuzz flying around me. I read this great analogy today about Pinot Noir and it's kind of like a flamingo, right? So you have all these different clones of Pinot Noir and then you have like flamingo and all the Pinot Noir grapes are all genetically identical and the flamingos are genetically identical, right? But depending on where that flamingo lives, the climate conditions and like what it eats every day, the flamingo can be bright pink, light pink, or even white, depending on where they live. And that's very similar to Pinot Noir in that wherever it is, it just sucks up the terroir. It just expresses itself. It's really hard to grow. Everything goes wrong in the vineyard, like grapes fall off for no reason and it molds and rots. And 
you know, it's just name anything that can go wrong. It goes wrong with Pinot. But because of all these things, because it's hard to grow, hard to make, expresses terroir, it's every winemaker's opus, right? Um, so Heinz Vineyard, uh, again, it doesn't look like it's very far away on the map, but let's look at some pictures. There's, look at the foggy Heinz. Um, it's up it kind of in the hills by Occidental, um, super exposed to the fog and the ocean. It's really cold here. Okay. Wow, that's good. Um, I get to drink for a living and you don't. So that's, that's everything I just said. All right, now look at the difference. Here's Hawk's Roost. Uh, this vineyard was purchased, actually it was a um, it's kind of a nice story. Charles, another Charles and Gail um, married, uh, lived on this little property right outside of uh, Santa Rosa. And behind it, there was this old nasty Zinfandel vineyard that just was in disrepair. Nobody paid any attention to it. He was a school teacher. Um, he retired in 2000. They planted this vineyard. They actually they got the opportunity to buy the whole property. And so they did. And they bought seven and a half acres. Uh, five and a half of those are now planted to the uh, UC Davis Clone 23 Pinot Noir, which is what you're looking at here. But it's a very different uh, climate in that you're now valley floor. It's much hotter. Um, it's not as exposed to the ocean. We'll go back to the map. It is there. Wah, 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 right. It's basically in this triangle between like Santa Rosa, Sebastopol's over here and Guerneville's here. Um, and it's, it's almost residential. It's really funny. It's like on the other side of those trees are like houses. Um, but the, the soil as well is not up in Heinz. It's like that gold rich, loamy, really powdery, yellowy soil down here where it's like alluvial fan, more clay in the soil, more um, kind of a river drainage, silty soil, sand and clay and silt retains water very well. So you don't have to really put much water on this at all. But you get that warm, hot, heat area. And then they planted 23 on it, which gives all this like acid structure to where you put this in versus the Heinz and it just like knocks your head back, right? Yeah, everybody, everyone's virtually nodding at me right now. It's awesome. Mm. So fun, fun stories about all these little different places. Um, how we find vineyards too. It's always tell people in, in Sonoma County, you like, you find vineyards like, like most people find apartments, you know, it's like, Hey man, like my brother's cousin's girlfriend is getting rid of this, uh, getting out of this like really awesome place. Like you should jump on it. That's how it happens. You know, I have, uh, I have a friend who got in one of the most storied vineyards in Sonoma because he was standing at the post office behind the vineyard manager just BSing, and he was like, "Hey, you know, like so and so did, didn't take their like three tons. Do you want it?" And he's like, "Yeah," and he like drove over there that afternoon and grabbed it. Now he's in the vineyard, and that's how it happens, you know. And so what we do at La Follette, we try and pioneer all these little places and all these amazing people and stories that, and, that grow these wonderful grapes all over Sonoma. Again, come to the winery. There's a truckload of single vineyards, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really partnering with the right people.
and doing things correctly. Like we work with the San Giacomo family. I mean, you guys have some in DC, San Jac. Uh, the San Giacomos are the, the, the largest vineyard owning family in Sonoma. Um, and up until last two years ago, they didn't even make wine. They just grew great grapes and everybody wanted to be there. So, and we've been there now. Uh, the Kivira winery started in 1981. So we've been there a little while, even though we've only been doing the Chardon Pinot thing since uh, 2010. Also important to the story is the lineage of Pinot because Hugh Chappelle, who's making these wines, used to work at Linmar and used to work at Flowers. So if you know those wineries are pretty darn good. Um, so he knows his way around Pinot Noir. And uh, it's fun to watch him wear his two hats to make like this like delicate Zinfandel and Sauvignon Blanc and then, then making Pinot Noir and dealing with growers and stuff. It's really fun. So anywho, I don't know if anybody has questions. If Antoinette, you have questions or thoughts or things you might want me to add. Uh, well, well, Brian. It's interesting that you uh, re uh, call me by name because I was just going to interject and uh, say how humble you are in introducing these wines because um, they truly have uh, an amazing pedigree and historically rate very highly if that matters for any to anyone. But the beautiful thing about them that we love is their consistency. Um, and they're just, they're just amazing wines uh, across the board. The other thing I wanted to add is uh, at the beginning, you were talking about Los Primeros and um, the importance of the Spanish uh, uh, speaking population within Sonoma. And uh, I've just uh, recently discovered the amount of sustainable efforts that are made within Sonoma County. And uh, the county is now 99% uh, of the local vineyards are certified sustainable. That's a, a more than a five-year effort uh, started in 2014 to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. And you very casually or humbly um, threw out that you are farming organically and Quivera is uh, biodynamic. Um, would you care to sort of uh, share what sustainability means uh, in sort of the broader spectrum for both wineries uh, or just the philosophy in general? Well, I think when you, you know, everybody throws sustainability or organics around and what, what you really have to understand and, 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 you know, thank you for your comments about the wines and, and we, we've been blessed with great ratings, but ultimately we're little farmers and we make, we make this little product and, um, it's really about all of these wonderful people and these places. And when you throw out sustainability organics and not a lot of people understand like, oh, what it means to be certified organic or what it means to be certified biodynamic or what the heck is that? Um, really, it comes back to finding the most natural way to grow the greatest grapes in on this little piece of dirt. And we have found and I think most of the winemaking community worldwide, excuse me, has found that doing things without pesticides, instead of spraying um, for, you know, a glassy wing sharpshooter or whatever, you find their natural predator and introduce that to get the bug instead of spraying copper sulfite uh, uh, to, to protect your Pinot Noir from molding, uh, from mold, you go in and spend some money and thin out the leaf canopy 
open things up, get more aeration through through the um, through the grape clusters to prevent that naturally. So it's and it just makes better wine. Um, I have been well. The other thing I would say is when you're talking about growing, this is a vintage problem. So we we only get one shot a year to make wine, right? And so when you're talking about grape growing, you're talking years in the, in the future, always. You know, we're very immediate. We're, we're, we're selling wine and we're very immediate in the sale and we're drinking wine today. And it's an instant gratification world that, that we live in. But if you talk to a grape grower or winemaker, they're, they're, think, they're already thinking two, three, four vintages ahead about the impact of what they're doing now is going to play out in three, five years or 10 years. You know, they're looking at vine health and soil health. We do things um, like if you ever go to the to uh, you like roll through in the springtime and you see like the mustard fields growing in the vines and it's oh so pretty and everybody stops their car and takes pictures. Well, we plant mustard not because it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty and we love it and we make mustard stuff at the winery out of it. But we, there's actually nematodes in the soils that will affect the the health of the vine roots. And the mustard will secrete a natural enzyme that those nematodes hate, nematodes hate. And so they will vacate the area. You know, that's why we have mustard. In the, you know, so we're doing all kinds of things like that. We're constantly learning, constantly learning, constantly learning, and constantly taking care of this little place. If you come to Kivira, it is not a monoculture. I mean, uh, we have different cover crops going all over the place. We have a biodynamic garden where you can come around and learn about biodynamics. We have pigs and sheep and, and cows and, and all the giant composting piles and everything comes back in. We reclaim all the water. Like there's so much more to it than just this, oh, look at this little vineyard. Um, even to the point where we protect the streams and rivers, there's a big, um, uh, one of the big, um, programs in California that a lot of wineries are participating in is called fish friendly farming, where we will not allow anything to go in the creeks that will harm, say, the steelhead um, trout or the coho salmon that come up there to spawn. And in fact, we've actually built spawning areas for them. So the, so the salmon, they're coming back now to this part of the world. So, and it's very, you know, I think Sonoma is really leading it. Um, Napa is too. Anybody that's making quality wines doing it, it's just proven itself. And it proves itself in the glass. If you go, I mean, you can do it at home, guys. Just grab, grab something made by one of those big companies in the same price point as something that you know is biodynamic or organic and, and from quality producers and just sit there and open them up and taste them. And um, you'll, you'll, you can taste it. And for us, that's everything. You know, it's like, it's, it's like you wouldn't put crazy chemistries on your tomatoes in your garden, right? You want the best tomato you can get, right? So, so do we. So really it's about that. It's about a long-term vision. It's about taking care of these little pieces of dirt. And we only work with people who have the same philosophy that we do, you know? Um, and we only work with good people too, because we don't like jerks. You know? Exactly. And one of the aspects uh, uh, of the sustainable sustainable uh, philosophy that I admire most uh, within Sonoma County is that 
valuing of the people and, and the election of um, most valued employee of the year. And, and every year there's a big celebration of the workers and the many now two or three generations um, of those workers that, that uh, came up here 30 years ago and, and now their children are taking over in some mm -hmm. of the vineyards. So it's, it's really quite a broad stroke across, but it's, um, it's very comprehensive as far as uh, what it covers. But it sounds like we all have some homework that you've just given us. So a good <laughs> to drink some more wine. And uh, we'll definitely keep doing that with La Follette. But before we say good night, Brian, is there anything you'd like to share with us? Well, you know, at, at the risk of my own peril, I just put my cell phone and my and my email up there. If you have questions or if you have thoughts about things, send me an email. Um, realize I am in California. So don't call me over coffee in the morning, but uh, you can reach out. Um, happy to answer anything. If you're coming out to the winery, hit me up. We can uh, you can come visit us and taste some wines. So, um, but yeah, I mean that's really it. It's it's for me. That's kind of how why I'm in the business, right? It's about um, this wonderful like time capsule of grape juice that we get to enjoy. That's a very specific place and a very specific time and very specific people that all went into this. And um, at, to me, that's, that's magical and that's why I do it. Uh, you know, it's not because I like to drink for a living, even though that's awesome. But um, now it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing and we're very lucky to be in this business and, and to be doing what we do and, and have the luxury to, to, to be here um, so thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. I'm going to come knock on your door, uh, in September when I'm in DC, we want to do an event or anything like hit me up. We'll like, we can blow something up. 100%. Um, definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you again very much for your time, uh, this evening and also in the, the planning stages. Thank you to you, Mark, very much for, for facilitating this event. Of course. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And I'm going to end the meeting for all. I wish everyone a lovely evening. Thank you. Bye. Into the wormhole. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>